In junior high, I ran track. 100 meters, 200, 400, long distance. For a certain period in grade 7, I was the second fastest in my grade. One year, I represented our school at the provincial meet, 400 meters. I'd never really had the patience for anything longer than 100, got tired quite quickly and lost both my breath and determination after 150. Despite, the school needed a rep and I needed some clout. A few seconds into the race, it became apparent that I wasn't going to win. Not only that, but at this rate, I might come in last place. The only black kid on the track. I couldn't let myself down. My school, my family, my race. Culturally, that is. I took a few strides and started to limp. If I couldn't win, at least I could be rewarded with sympathy. I still have a participation ribbon from that day. Deep purple and frayed at the bottom. Silver embroidered letters proving that I was there. It was the end of my track career. When I met up with Olympian, Mohammed Ahmed, soon after he competed at the recent Tokyo Games, I wasn't expecting him to be so soft-spoken, humble, reserved. I mean, his accolades are many. He's more decorated than a Christmas tree in Times Square. He's a two-time silver medalist at the Commonwealth Games in both the 5,000 and 10,000 meter events. He won the gold medal at the 2015 Pan American Games in the 10,000 event. He's a three-time Olympian, the first Canadian to medal at the 5,000 meters at the World Championships in 2019, and these past Olympic Games where he got the coveted silver medal. Oof. I'm out of breath just speaking about it. There's a theory, perhaps more of a myth, that claims the reason Jamaicans dominate the world of short-distance running is because of all the yam and cassava they eat. If that's the case, Mohammed was born in Mogadishu, Somalia, so maybe it's in the Suku Sukuo? I was born there, I was born in Somalia, but shortly after my birth, like two months, three months, like my, my parents like moved. I was born in, in, in the chaos that, that post-Civil War, civ during Civil War, post-Civil War period. And, uh, you know, my parents had to flee Somalia to Kenya. So I grew up uh, in Kenya for the first 10 years of my life. Um, my brothers were born there. And then we moved to, to Canada, St. Catharines, Ontario, just, you know, just down the road from, from Toronto. And, yeah, lived there for eight years, <laughs> um, from 2001 to 2009, uh, until I moved uh, to uh, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, to, to study at the University of Wisconsin on an athletic scholarship, track and field scholarship, and lived there for another five years, you know, completed my university, university there, and moved to Portland, Oregon, uh, where is still home to, to this day. Um, more of a, uh, you know, a journeyman kind of <laughs> nomad in some ways. So if it wasn't the Somali diet, I was curious as to what inspired him to start running. Um, I think just it was just a byproduct of trying different sports, basketball, soccer, baseball, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. And it was, it was through experimentation of different sports that ultimately track and field and running kind of became a sport that I was like that I found that I had a bit of talent in um, and when you're young like everything is competition and you know in my house like I'm one of four uh, brothers uh, boys 
and I'm the oldest. Um, two of them are only two years, uh, two and a half years uh, younger than me. So, you know, my mom was just kind of like, you, you're not going to be at home, you know, bringing all that testosterone and <laughs> taking all that uh, energy on each other at the house. So she just kind of pushed us outside, um, got us to try different sports, and it was just kind of byproduct of that. Um, so track and field day, I think you, you probably remember that. Of course, I remember that. It's where I got my last purple ribbon. Just kind of tried different sport, you know, different events, high jump, uh, long jump, 1500 meters, 400 meters, you know, various different 100 meter sprints. And I just kind of discovered that I was, you know, I, I kind of had more talent in, in the longer distances. Um, and I don't know, I think the biggest thing was probably the f- most formative event that catapulted me into uh, having a love for, for track and field was probably the 2004 Olympics. Um, just, just seeing Kennedy Sipikele, um, Haile Gebrselase, Selassie Shaheen, um, Hisham al like those guys. And um, just really those two weeks, I absorbed the entirety of, of the Olympic Games. And I was just in awe of that. Athlète exceptionnel du monde entier, le pays qui a donné naissance à l'athlétisme, vous souhaite bienvenue et bonne chance. Great athletes of the world, the country that gave birth to athleticism welcomes you and wishes you great success. The 2004 Summer Olympics, Athens, Greece, the birthplace of the Olympics. It's not hard to see why Mohammed was inspired by the games that year. The 10,000-meter event in itself was like a movie. Two runners, Kenenisa Bekele and Haile Gabler Selassie, both representing Ethiopia, square off in what seemed to be the final chapter in a trilogy of battles. The anticipation was more dramatic than the finish, as Bekele seemed to be running alone in the last stretch of the race. What was spectacular was his time. 26 minutes and 20.31 seconds, he broke the world record and still holds the second fastest time ever for that distance. So that kind of said, oh, this is a sport um, that, that essentially highlighted, oh, this is a sport really, you know what I mean? Yeah, we do it in, in gym class or whatever where you run a mile or 800 meters or whatever but this is an event just or a sport just like basketball is and soccer is and um, you should probably keep keep going out for the various teams um, that the school offers so cross country and track and field was kind of the way that I went in that and early years I just I was good in my school but I wasn't probably the best or one of the best in in even my district school board but I stuck with it just because it was an excuse to get out of school, you know what I mean? Just like any other sport was. I think in uh, grade nine, for whatever reason, my body maturing, my um, a little bit of training being uh, exposed to me, I kind of shined a little bit. And it was just kind of trying as hard as you could and just being competing, right? So you're not really necessarily thinking about the distance. You're just more focused on 
competing with people and doing you know qualifying to the to the next highest level you know what i mean so uh, by track season in the spring of of my grade nine year i was winning a lot of those like you know i was winning you know the district board of niagara southern region um you know sasa all those and i was qualifying to offsa which is this huge event and i think it was at that point that i like my talent actually shined even more you know that even local track clubs were asking for me to join their their club um to be like hey you you, you got something here you know you should probably join uh, our, our club and i ended up joining niagara olympic club and um found out that there's more to life than even just my city you know there is there's toronto there's ottawa there's thunder bay and i was able to have the opportunity to uh travel outside of my city and to, to, to various different um, cities in Ontario. And I don't know, it opened up my eyes a little bit more. So I kind of stuck with it and kept going out for cross country team and track and field team for, for my school. But there was more to that. It was, you know, I'm traveling with a, a club, you know what I mean? I'm meeting different people and higher competitions and uh, different various uh, high levels of, of competitions and just getting better, you know what I mean, in the sport. Um, so, yeah, I think I didn't really fully shine shine as, as being one of the top Canadian uh, distance runners until probably my grade 11 year. And that's when I started kind of graduated from competing locally in Ontario to nationally competing against all the best in, in Canada and then internationally uh, being on Canadian junior teams and, and, and what have you. In 2016, Mohamed qualified for the Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, where he competed both in the 5,000 and 10,000 meter race. Watching back that 10,000 meter race from that year, perhaps a behavior psychologist might be able to guess the outcome of the race. As the camera pans across the competitors, it stops at Mo Farah, considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest long distance runner in modern history. He shadow boxes the camera, raises his arms in the air like he's already won. Next to Mohamed Farah is the other Mohamed, Mohamed Ahmed, representing Canada. Young and meek, he glances over sheepishly at the display of bravado from the track star to his right. Mohamed Farah came in first place while Mohamed Ahmed came in 32nd out of 34 runners. Perhaps this devastating result became the catalyst for his next event, the 5,000. Rio was, was an interesting uh, championship for me uh, or me for me because I had high aspirations. I had made the 2012 team. I had made the 2013 world team for, for Team Canada, Commonwealth Games. I had just finished my, my university career. Um, was only a professional for about a year. Um, so with the experiences of, the, of those years and those various different championships, 20, 2012, 13, 14, 15, uh, Rio kind of served as like, you know, the first championship where I was more focused on performance. Um, and I don't know, like it just brought a lot of pressure and expectations. And, you know, I was only like 25 at that time. Um, so I'm still experiencing, I'm getting, I'm graduating to another level of seeking higher, uh, positions and medals and, 
uh, higher uh, finishing positions. And I don't know, like I did the 10,000 meters at first and it just, it didn't go well. You know, the pressure, the anxiety, I just did not handle and I just panicked and it was, you know, it was jogging by the end. You know what I'm saying? Just the anxiety just overcame me. Uh, but the four or five days after the 5,000 or the, the, the 10,000 meters, like I had the 5,000 meter heats and the 5,000 meter final and I had to, to get to the final, I had to qualify in the heats and I just had so much anxiety and doubt and um, just labored over my emotions and just being frustrated and pissed and angry at myself and, you know, the 10 not working. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, like with, with, you know, my parents, my brothers, you know, all those people that loved me, their encouragements, their words, um, just kind of got me through that moment. And that moment, I would say, was probably very formative in that it made, it showed me that I can go through a lot of, you know, an emotionally, an emotional time and still come out of it fine, you know what I'm saying? And it was a lot of growth, you know what I mean? Because it, it was a period where I was asking myself deep, deep questions. You know, it was just three, four, five days. Um, and I made, you know, I did the 5,000 meter heats, made the final, and then I had three, four, my four days between that to the final. And still a little bit toiling with my emotions a little bit more, but like it was kind of gave me a little bit more life. The fact that I made the final and um, I was able to muster up a, a good performance, you know, be in it. Uh, till the end, um, almost grabbed a, a medal. When he says almost, he means it. He came in fourth in the 5,000 meter final, just under a couple seconds shy of securing the bronze with a time of 13 minutes and 5.94 seconds. Just to give some perspective, the other day I tried to see what my time would be like running 5K. It took me 37 minutes and 34 seconds, including a couple of rests along the way, I gotta be honest. So to come fourth in the world is not a small feat. I don't know, the pun isn't that great. Those games helped me realize, yeah, you have what it takes to compete at the international level, and that, um, you know, there's still a lot of growing to do, you know what I'm saying, to to muster a, 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 a metal uh, performance, you know? And um, the, the years after 2017, I was kind of about the same. I was, you know, top five, top six, um, you know, competing really well against the international competition as one of the guys that could, could do well. And, you know, just kept going, um, getting better a little bit. And I think it wasn't until 2019 that I... Uh, finally delivered my first uh, international medal. He's talking about the 2019 IAAF Track and Field World Championships in Doha, Qatar. In the final lap, the runner from Norway keeps clipping the heels of Ahmed, who's in first place, almost making him trip a couple times. This clip taken from CBC Sports describes in vivid color the suspense of the last two minutes of the race. Feel free to close your eyes and imagine being front row in the stadium as the drama unfolds. 
a shadow on the shoulder of the leader for the entire race. The expatriated Kenyan who's made a happy life in the United States is in second place and there's pumping and barging going on. Jakob Ingebrigtsen got his heels clipped by Varega. It's understandable. This is the World Championship final. There's a huge amount at stake here. Philip Ingebrigtsen has stepped off the track. Maybe his role was to pacemake Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Coming round now with just over 400 to go. This is world-class distance running and there's another bump and bars between Ahmed and Jakob. They take the bell in the final of the men's 5,000 metres. Such heart, such passion. This is great racing. Their eyeballs out, hundreds of miles for years and years, just for this opportunity to shine on the global stage. Jakob Ingebrigtsen has got the bit between his teeth here. Idris, the defending champion, trying to find a way through. So too Borrega. And the fourth fastest man in history is closing. Paul Chilimo is rocking and rolling for the first time. And so too is Ahmed. Jakob looks over his shoulder again. It's Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Salomon Borrega. Mukhtar Idris, the defending champion. What a race. What a finishing prospect. Jakob's got to hang on because Ahmed of Canada's gone past him. Mukhtar Idris from nowhere with no form at all is going to successfully defend his title. It's a 1-2 in glorious fashion for Ethiopia. Borrega takes the silver and what an incredible bronze medal for Mohamed Ahmad of Canada. Jakob Ingebrigtsen is on the track, inconsolable. He did everything he could. It wasn't to be the fairy tale. At this point, it's clear Mohamed Ahmed is one of those guys. One of the best in the world. The stage is set for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, happening in 2021, delayed a year because of the pandemic. Olympics comes around every four years and we had to deal with it another year. You know, and you come out on the other side and you enter the room, this room that's, that is the podium. You're like, oh, I'm standing on here. And it's like, what is next, right? And the next is like, you, you, you go after that whatever that thing that that is next with zero limits you know what i'm saying it's very interesting how that happened so 2019 was like or 2020 i had zero limits like i was i was on full throttle i i felt like light i felt like i was so ready to to do so much and for the rug to be pulled out of my feet <laughs> with the pandemic um it was very difficult you know what i'm saying i i, I think i didn't realize how much you know, how much that took out of me, you know what I'm saying? And um, each day each day, and each week and each month that got, you know, the Olympics got closer in 2021, just the, the tension and the anxiety and the nervousness like just kept building and building. And I'm doing everything I can with various tools that I have, you know, breathing techniques, uh, massage, physiotherapy, um, therapists, you know, sports therapists, psychologists, you know, all those things to just calm myself down. Uh, reading whatever little tools that I have but still like the tension was just so high you know and come out of that now I'm kind of like oh man like that was actually a lot you know what I mean that we had to we had to deal with despite the setbacks Muhammad felt more ready than ever Mageshe, Balu. And Katir is in trouble. Katir grimacing as they hit the bell. He's a good eight, nine men back, and he's been dropped to the back of this pack. 
59 42 the last lap as they hit the bell lap and it's the world record holder chapter guy of uganda ahead of kimeli of kenya chalimo of the usa then kip limo of uganda mo ahmed in five six trying to keep with that lead group of six athletes Mo Ahmed in fifth place right now. Chapter guy pushing the pace with 200 meters to go. Katir is done. He could not handle this early pace. And then when it was picked up by Chapter guy, he withered and fell back. Joshua Chapter guy, the world record holder in front. Kimeli with a shoulder check. Paul Chalimo behind him. And Mo Ahmed in fourth. Mo Ahmed now making a move. He's gone from fourth to second place. Mo Ahmed with a great finishing kick. Look at the power. He's going to get there. It's Guy for gold and Mohamed for silver. The first Canadian man to win Olympic medal at this distance in history. What a brave race by Mo. What a stirring finish to get to silver. I think in, in that 5,000 meters, I gave myself a lot of twos, like stay calm, stay patient move up here you know little little stuff like that you know i will say the last three laps just went it was blurred like they came they came at me so fast and i really didn't have so, too much time to think what stood out in those last in those three last three laps was the fact that i actually did not care where i was because i was just like you are doing this came short of the podium in 2016 and i'm gonna do this i think just the way that i attacked that race anybody that watches the race can say that like I was very much determined and I, it didn't matter where I was. I was going to try and deliver that type of performance. You look at that race or I look at, look back on that race and I say, man, like you were close. You had, you were still full of running. Imagine, you know, if you were right on the shoulder of a Joshua Chapter guy, could you have gotten him? And I feel like I could have, um, but it's just, it's a game of margins. You know what I'm saying? Everybody that lines up on that start line has the capability of delivering an incredible performance. More than anything, relief is probably <laughs> the feeling that I felt. Cause you know, I don't know, like anybody go watch that race. Like I'm not excited. I'm not overjoyed. I'm not, none of that. You know what I mean? It's just like I crossed the line and it's a, it's a feeling of just like calmness kind of thing. And I think it's just the, I, I would say relief, you know what I'm saying? Like we had to go through a pandemic. We had to deal with dealing with the fact that for a year and a half, we had to just wait. It's just, everything is on pause. Yeah, we could probably go out and train. We can <laughs> take our frustration out on, on, on workouts and everything like that. But this is what we were looking forward to for five years. I wondered where Mohammed keeps his silver medal. I know if it was me, I would wear it like a Cuban link, spit shine it daily, sleep with it. My mom sighed, I gave it to her, um, and I've just been kind of parading it to the individuals that had a part in it. Um, and it's just kind of in a little box. It's just not, it's not something that personally, like I am looking at all the time. Uh, I think the, the moment of ecstasy <laughs> for me with the medal was on the podium when it was delivered to me um, and you know the Tokyo Olympics were, were, were a bit different in that um, individual presents the the medal to you but they don't take it and put it on your on your neck you had to take it out of the little plate and put it on you know you put put it on your own neck which was 
which is very different, but I actually like loved it. I, I feel like it should probably continue. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it, it, it's nice when somebody that has accomplished a lot, you know, somebody who, you know, world record holder, a previous Olympian, multiple time Olympian, you know, that and hero that you looked up to grabs that medal and puts it on your neck. But it, I don't know. I kind of also enjoyed grabbing it, you know, with my own hands and, and putting it on my side because, you know, I put in the hard work. I put in the, you know, I had to overcome a lot, you know, to to bring myself to that to that part, to that to that performance. Mohammed won a silver medal for Canada, but on his wrist is a bracelet adorning the colors of Somaliland. He recognizes his achievements could be part of a bigger narrative. It's very interesting, you know, being a person of color, um, <laughs> you know, a visible minority as, as in Canada is known, right? Um, as most people of color are, are, are seen as, you know? And I would say like that, that label probably like, you know, is very interesting you know, visible minority, like, um, and I would say, like, we are visible in various different ways, right? There's diversity in us. So, you know, I'm Muslim, I carry a Muslim name, distinctly Muslim name, Muhammad Ahmed, you know, um, I'm black. So that's another visible minority, you know, my ethnicity, where I come from is another a visible uh, marker of who I am. Uh, you know, all, all these things, and it's, you know, yeah, young black male, like, so all those things are things that I am cognizant of. I know that there are a lot of people, a lot of young individuals that that look up to me um, for my performances and, and everything like that. And I don't take that lightly. Um, I try and also be kind to myself and say that's it's a lot of uh, pressure and, and expectations to shoulder. So I try and engage with that in a healthy way um, by doing the best that I can, you know, what I'm saying that if I do something well and somebody takes inspiration out of that, say that as that's a bonus. And you know what I mean? Like try and like be somebody that is available as much as I can. So this needs a little bit of context. Prior to this day, I've never met Mohammed before. And in my other life, I write poetry, perform poetry. So imagine my surprise when he said this. I'm I'm a huge fan of yours. I've I've been. I'm not gonna lie. Um, you know, I try and write here and there. Um, you know, you're probably one of the individuals that inspired me to to start writing poems and, and stuff like that. Um, I would say you're definitely a, a national treasure that many people do not know. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I had no idea about this when we first met, and. He asked if he could read a poem before we got out of there. I mean, a poem from an Olympian in the middle of the Aga Khan Museum? I'll take it, gladly. I wrote this like way back in 2017 when Donald Trump came into, into office. I live in, in Portland, Oregon. Um, and my brother uh, came to visit me during this time. I was just thinking about him a little bit more um, and obviously the events that was uh, taking place in the United States, uh, various different bands on Somalis and, you know, uh, different, you know, people of color being degraded by the highest office. Um, and I was just thinking about that. So I just, you know, said this to my brother. While we're young, I say, give much weight to yourself, to your voice. 
Don't defer to self-righteous, standoffish, privileged prigs, those riddled with sanctimonious smug, any that haven't been humbled by the years or humble enough to say, I know enough to say I don't know much, or equipped with the common sense to realize the plight of many without donning tinted shades too. Um, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. Appreciate that. This is Arena. So to keep up to date on more episodes, visit tradmag.ca or visit us on social media at Trad Magazine. Arena is produced by Trad Magazine, Alkelbion Pictures, and sponsored by Amplify Africa and the Ontario Trillium Foundation. Stay blessed, y'all.